would you take your Bibles with me and go to Ephesians chapter 6 for a new series that we want to embark upon for the next few weeks about the believer's armor. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of a story. Back in the 90s, what they decided to do to the U.S. Postal Service, decided that they would do a commemorative stamp in honor of Richard Nixon. Now, if you know anything about Richard Nixon, he did not go out of office in a popular sense at all. It was in a shameful setting. So many people responded when that stamp came out. And by the way, a lot of you are caught up more with the cost of the stamp at that time, being 32 cents. But most of the people at that time when the post office put it out, they found that this was not a hot seller. Most people didn't want this stamp. There was one guy in Virginia that decided he didn't care, so he went down and bought a whole bunch of them, 32 cents. He bought 160 of them. But his 160 was part of a batch that had a flaw in it. Nixon was upside down. Not, the, name, the name Nixon was printed upside down. So it became a collector's item immediately. So this guy hung on to his 160 stamps and in a couple years sold them for $10,000 each. Each one of them. Something so unpopular that nobody wanted but became something very, very valuable. There's a passage of scripture that that reminds me of and it's in Ephesians 6. There's no mistake in Ephesians 6. There's no mistake in God's word whatsoever. But what I want you to catch is this is an unpopular type of a a message or study or passage of scripture. Most people don't want to talk about what this passage talks about. It talks about a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare that is going on. Ephesians chapter 6, if you would follow along as I read, I'm going to start in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, after he has in in the beginning of the book, he's got the church's praise in chapter 1 and 2. Then he's got the church's practice in 3, 4, 5, up into halfway into 6. And now he's going to talk about the church's peril. And he starts with, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand." Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and he goes on, for me also. As we look at the passage, let's just be very simplistic with it. What do we learn? If there's one major lesson that we want to start with before we get into all the detail, what do we learn from this text? We learn this part, first of all. We learn that all of us are in a battle. All of us are in a battle. We're going to expand upon that in the next few minutes. But I want you to catch this about the battle. The battle is spiritual, not physical. He makes it very clear in the text that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is not like some of you 
who do wrestling. Or some of you who uh, they get together with groups and you do some type of competition. Or like the warfare that's going on in the Ukraine. This isn't that type of a battle. This isn't one where there's weaponry and that's physical and, and there's physical blood being shed. This is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle that he says is against the spiritual wickedness in high places, against the wiles of the devil. He talks about us battling spiritual beings. I want to talk about them in a few minutes from now. But we're having a battle against spiritual beings. And he says this battle is spiritual because there's spiritual weapons we need to take. We need to take the armor of God, the whole armor of God. So here's a fact. All of us are in a spiritual battle. He talks about this battle in another sense, that it is unavoidable. It's a a battle that is unavoidable. Several years ago when I was uh, headed over before COVID over to the hospital to visit somebody I was in the hospital, uh, after the visit I came out and I usually take back alleys to get back to the church instead of just getting on, you know, the main drag through town. So I was going through some of the back alleys. As I was headed back, I came to one of those back alleys that in the alley was a group of teens. A couple of them were on bikes. And so as I came up the alley, some of the kids spread and got, a, got away so I could come up and hit to that, that spot to, in order to cross the next street. But there was one boy who stayed on his bike right in the middle of the alley, sideways. And as I came up close, he yelled at me, I'm not moving, old man. Go backwards. So I thought to myself, what should I do? And the thoughts raced through my mind, like, well, I could back up. I could back up and race forward. I could wait him out. I could run him down. So I had all these thoughts going, and the better part of discretion, and I didn't want to dent my car, uh, said I should back up and go another way. That conflict was avoidable. What he's talking about in this text is a conflict that is unavoidable. He says in this text that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He says further on that, that idea to withstand. The idea is that something is coming against you. That it's going to attack you and you've got to hold your ground. Remember when we were kids and snow used to be so high? You know, it was 10 feet high. Those were the snowstorms. Yes, and we walked to school, ten, you know, uphill both ways, you know, and all. But when we were kids, we would, in Minnesota, we would get these big snow banks and we would play King on the Hill. That was the recess thing. And you wanted to get up there and push down and inevitably somebody's going to be coming up. And when you weren't looking, they would knock you down. He's saying, this is what's happening to us. We are being attacked. It is unavoidable. It is going to happen. It isn't like if Satan comes against you, he is coming against you. And so the passage makes it very clear that you have an enemy, which Peter writes about. He says that he is like a lion who is walking about, not sitting in some throne there in hell and doing nothing. He's walking about seeking seeking whom he may devour. So we have this unavoidable battle, which is also universal. It is universal. All individuals are being attacked in some way, shape, or form by this enemy. Now, Christians in particular, but all people are going to be attacked by him to some degree. He talks about my brethren. He talks about you all putting on the armor of God. And so he talks about we wrestling. And so he makes it very clear, this battle is going on. Now, let me expand upon that. 
From other scriptures, we know that entire nations are attacked by this spiritual enemy. We know that in the future, and not only in the, not only in the past, but in the future, that the enemy... When he comes to this earth, he's going to seek after the woman who gave birth to the man-child who will rule with a rod of iron. We're in Revelation 12. He's talking about Jesus being born of that woman who had the 12 stars standing by the moon. That's a picture of Israel. Israel is being attacked. And it has been in history, and it will be again in the future. We know as well that at that time in the future, he says, Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, all individuals. All individuals, not just the believers of that time, but all individuals, he says, woe unto the inhabitants of the earth because the devil is now come down, cast out of heaven permanently. At that moment, he will come down with great wrath against those who are upon the earth. And so we read as well that he is against Bible-believing churches. We have multiple passages where it talks about churches being attacked. We read in Pergamos, one of the seven churches, that it's a spot where they are are where Satan dwells. And he goes on and he writes about how they're being attacked by persecution. We read that in the latter days, he's warning the church that there will be coming demons with doctrines of the devils that talk about marriage and giving in marriage, some of the things we're talking about in Sunday school this week and then next week and following. He's t- we read that there are uh, false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves in the apostles of Christ. No marvel because Satan himself is transformed. Comes along looking good, looking in churches like he's got truth and he's real, real um, holy and noble and yet there's corruption here. So churches are under attack. Couples are under attack. He talks about, in 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about couples and then their intimacy, their physical intimacy, to be very careful, lest Satan, he says, tempts you. So we have, as we go through, this idea that there is this attack that is happening universally, but the stress of this passage is upon you. Not just upon me, not just upon us, but upon you. That's the focus of this passage. He's saying that what's happening is he is attacking each and every individual believer. Those who are followers of Jesus Christ in particular. The passage says, Wherefore, let each one of you emphatically, each one of you take unto yourself the armor, because we wrestle. Again, he's including himself. Now, in that Bible passage that he's referring to, he's talking about some of the gladiatorial games. In the gladiatorial games, they just didn't rest, they just didn't fight with swords or spears, but there was frequently in the Roman Colosseums and those other Colosseums around the ancient Near East, they would wrestle hand-to-hand combat, not something that was far off, but they would engage each other in this battle and engage physically hand-to-hand without a weapon unto the death. And so he's talking about and emphasizing that there is going to be this attack. Now, let me just put these two together, universal and personal, and it applies to a great degree in this sense. Number one, those who are unbelievers, they're under attack as well. He says that if the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded them, lest they would believe, lest the glorious gospel would shine unto them. In fact, Jesus, in his parable that he's talking about the sower and the seed, he talks about how the seed is given, and there are some whose souls and hearts are like the driveway out front. That when the seed falls, that it makes no no 
no uh, ability to permeate. Their hearts are hard. And then all of a sudden, that, here comes that crow, that raven, that wicked one who plucks away the seeds. That's the idea that people could be sitting in a church like this who have yet to come to faith in Jesus Christ. They think about him. They know about him. They might even sing about him. They even celebrated Easter a couple weeks ago. But they don't personally know for sure that they're going to be in heaven. They don't know him personally as their Savior, as the one that they've asked to personally forgive them of their sin and ask him to give them eternal life. Those individuals may be sitting, like in a service like this, or listening on the live stream. And he's saying that that they are under attack spiritually. Satan doesn't want them to get saved. So as they're listening, all of a sudden, different things will, will be suggested to them. That's not for you. You're good enough. You don't need that. And the seed is plucked away by the wicked one. He doesn't want people to believe. And so they're under attack in that regard. Those who are dedicated believers, let's swing the pendulum all the way to the other side of the rostrum. Those who are dedicated believers, like many of you sitting here, who really love the Lord, you can be under attack as well. And everybody in between. We read in one of the very first characters of Scripture who is under attack. This rich man, this godly man, this family man, this older man. This man who had a loyalty to the Lord, a good lifestyle, Job, came under attack. We read about another individual that was close to Jesus, walked with Jesus. He was one of the twelve. He had great theology. He's the one that Jesus commends because he recognized who Jesus was. He even had, had, was able to do miracles and had the experience that nobody in this room has ever done. He walked on water when it wasn't frozen. He walked on water. And so here Peter was under attack. Well, we go through scriptures and we find that, that not only these individuals who were godly individuals, but we talk about church leaders in scriptures. That twice in the text talking about giving qualifications says, be careful lest he fall into the condemnation of the devil, lest he fall into the snare of the devil. And so you have all these individuals, all of people like us, and then we understand, we know that Satan wasn't intimidated. He, st- he attacked Jesus Christ. Jesus was able to resist, but that didn't stop Satan from attacking. My friend, if he'll attack Jesus, certainly we don't intimidate him. We don't scare the devil. And so there's attacks coming in that regard. My point is, we are, all, we are all going to be under attack. We can't get vaccinated from this one. We can't wear a mask away from this one. We can't isolate from this one. If we are living in this world, if we want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to come under attack spiritually. This isn't a a sweet promise. This is just a reality of life. And so within this text, he tells us, all of us, no matter what our age, what what our background, what our knowledge of Scripture, we're under attack. And this attack is something that we can't hide from now. I know that the kids play at camp. I, when, when we were doing camp years ago, I used to get involved with playing you know, the bombardment there in the gym. It was fun. It was great to just whip that ball as hard as you could to knock down, knock out one of the other kids. My favorite idea was get behind somebody big like Pastor John. You get behind them, you know, and then you can just stand there and stick your head out every once in a while and throw the ball, but you're protected. In this battle that we're facing spiritually, there's nobody we can hide behind. You can't hide behind your mom and dad. You can't hide behind your spouse. You can't hide behind me. I'm not big enough. Satan is going to attack every single one of us, not just us, but our families. 
our community, our church. We are in a battle, a battle that he says is constant. It's continual. Keep on being strong. We are always wrestling against the idea, the present tense in each one of those, those two uh, phrases. So this is an ongoing battle that doesn't stop when you retire, that doesn't spa- stop when you become a teacher, that doesn't stop when you memorize a certain passage of Scripture. It's going to be a continuous battle, and the only way it's going to stop is if you die or if you get raptured. Or if you give in. So you're in this battle, friend. Here it is. It's going on. What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? But the battle is also very, very serious. It's a serious battle. This isn't one that, like, like my brothers, when we were young, we would get into these wrestling matches you know, in the bedroom, or, or we would play on that king on the hill, and we would push the kids down and then go back inside and have the rest of the school day. This one's serious. This one talks about wrestling. And I take you back to that idea of those gladiators. Those gladiators were not like modern-day all-star wrestling. I, I still remember and I've shared this with you before. We're back in the, in the late 60s. We go over to my grandma and grandpa's house. It's the week after the moon landing. Do you, some of you remember the moon landing? You're watching it, seeing it. And so I remember we had stayed up. We had watched the moon landing. Now we're a few days later. We're at my grandma and grandpa's house. And my grandma and grandpa were avid all-star wrestling fans. They wouldn't miss it. And they wouldn't talk to us while it's going on. It was just like, don't interrupt me. I'm watching Vern. Vern Gagne was the big guy then. Vern Gagne is on the program, and we're just, you know, he, oh, oh. And they would watch this program. They said, oh, look at that. He's going to pull his arm right off. Oh, man, he broke his back. He can't, you know, all-star wrestling is like a Hallmark movie. <laughs> they all have the same plot. Here's the guy who's going to win. There's the other guy. They get going. The big guy beats up the little guy. But all of a sudden, the little guy, he's got that big guy to the point of, oh, he's, he can't get up. He can't do anything. And all of a sudden, miraculously, he gets up and he whoops and wins. That's the plot. So we're watching, and Grandma's going, oh, my word, look at that. He'll never get up. Oh, my word, he's going to die. He's got to, I mean, and then sure enough, he jumps up fully restored, and whoops the other guy. And we're watching this and just waiting for them to talk. And then when the commercial came, and said, hey, by the way, Grandma and Grandpa, did you watch the moon landing? Oh, that's fake. <laughs> the spiritual battle that we're in is not fake. When he uses that term from wrestling, he's about the gladiatorial games. Just to give you a sense of what he's comparing it to. In the gladiatorial games that we know historically, when they would do the arm-to-arm combat, they would go until somebody wasn't pinned until the one strangled the other. It was life and death. There are cases where somebody wasn't able to continue and they didn't die. But if they failed, their eyes were gouged out. So we're talking, when he uses this term, he's using something that they would understand was really serious. This is a serious battle. This is a serious struggle that you're in. This is something that that you've got to be careful about. So all of us are in a battle. Let's take the next phrase with it. All of us are in a battle with demonic forces. He makes that very clear. I've alluded to it, but let's expand upon it. These are real. You might be sitting here this morning and saying, I don't know if I believe in the devil. Jesus did. 
Jesus did. Jesus talked about him. Jesus warned about him. And in this text, he says, that's what I'm talking about. I'm, we're wrestling against principalities, powers, against rulers of darkness. Those are terms describing real individuals. Now, they're not physically real like your body, but they're spiritually real. Jesus made that very clear when he ministered to them. Otherwise, Jesus was a lunatic talking to these people that weren't there, that were challenging him. Jesus was no lunatic. He's the Lord. And as such, when he had conversation with the demons, he was talking to a real individual, a real person, a spiritual being that was real, that's evil. I don't know if I can make this to come across the way I ought to. These rulers of spiritual darkness, these rulers of spiritual wickedness, they are horrible. They are awful. People will play with the occult thinking it's funny. It's not funny. You're dealing with the spiritual realm that is dangerous and deadly. These spiritual creatures that have yoked up with Satan, they are not our friends. They are not neutral in this battle. They seek to destroy. They seek to ruin. I'll give you just some, some glimpse of how evil this is. Take just the names given. The names that are used throughout Scripture, they're all negative. They're, a, they're all displaying how awful a tempter, an enemy, deceiver, a murderer, a liar, serpent, wicked, a Belial, a Beelzebub, an accuser, a destroyer. None of that has any, uh, any inkling of somebody who could be a buddy. In fact, when you start going through Scripture, their activities show they're evil. When you start going through, the first thing that happened with the beginning of creation is Satan rebelled against God. The first time human beings are there, his desire was and his attempt was to turn them against God and God against them by tempting them. The, the idea of opposing Jesus Christ... It happened time and time again, trying to wipe out the Jewish people so Jesus couldn't come when Jesus was born, trying to destroy him. And so they're, they're opposed to God. They're opposed to good. They start to harm the people they possess. Go through every account in the Gospels where there was a possession that took place. And in every one of these, you've got some, spirit, some physical harm coming to the individual. They weren't spirits that meant good to the vessel that they possessed. They meant harm to them. Even today, they're very active, as they were in the New Testament era, trying to keep people from hearing the gospel, opposed to missions. You're for missions. You gave to missions. The demons are not inclined in any which way. They want false gospels. They want false Christ. They want to steal the word of God. They want to keep people blinded from the truth. You go a little bit further, and we find out that they're promoting false doctrines in churches. The doctrines of the devils. Would they oppose God and his program? Jesus made that clear. He says the gates of hell should not prevail against the church. Point is, they're going to be attacking the church. He talks about how they'll attack the Jews in the, God's program in the future. They'll empower Antichrist. Even at the end of the, of the kingdom, they will attack Jesus and all of us who are there in that kingdom physically. When we're there with our, with our new bodies. And so there are evil creatures they're, very, they're, they're, they're competent individuals in the sense that they can do miracles to deceive people. And time and again, we read that they're attacking us. We're wrestling against them. So we know that they're evil. We know that they're real. We know that there's many of them. Now, I don't know how many there are. Neither do you. I don't know how many angels there are. But I do know that this text says 
in the plural, principalities, powers, and rulers. I know according to the book of Revelation, one-third of the angels followed after Satan, and they yoked up with him. But I don't know what the original number of angels were. I can tell you this, that according to the book of Revelation, just the number of angels around the throne of God is 200 million. I know that according to the book of Hebrews, he talks about an innumerable amount of angels in heaven, and that doesn't count the ones who are ministering to you, even the good angels, or what people have come to call the guardian angels. So whatever that number is, a third followed, and so what we have is this enemy that's in a gang, that's in a group. You're not fighting somebody smaller than you, somebody lesser than you. You, you. These are in multiple forms coming against you. Like you fighting an entire gang of criminals. These evil ones are after you. I know that they're very powerful. I know what scriptures describes, that they're principalities, that they're powers, that he talks about their, their rulers. Do they influence authorities over people? Yes. Are they influential in their own organization? Yes. Even the terms, the descriptions that are used to describe Satan are showing very powerful creatures from, from the animal kingdom. They compare them to a lion. They compare them to a dragon. We, we go to scriptures and we find out that they have enough ability. They could create fire. They could create a tornado. They could move different individuals all in an attempt to destroy Job. That tornado that wiped out the house that dropped on his children. The fires that gave his crops. The Sabians and others that came to attack. So they're very influential. I'm inclined in my thinking, is it possible that what's happening in the Ukraine could have been demonically instigated? There's no doubt in my mind that that's a possibility. There's, there's that ability that they have according to scriptures. They have the ability to do miracles or duplicate miracles. They did it when Moses went before, Mary, uh, before Pharaoh. Do you remember? Yes, no? There was, there's three of them that they did. Do you remember what they duplicated? Okay, they did the snake. The snake, that, that happened. The water into blood. Do you remember what the other one was? It was the frogs. They were able to bring fro- frogs at their command. But then after that, they couldn't. And that's when all of a sudden after that, they start advising Pharaoh, you better listen. This is something, this is a God, this isn't us. But they were enabled, they were empowered, there was duplication that was done of even those miracles. And what's interesting is they can take control, they're powerful. They can take control of a body. It happened throughout the Gospels. They took control of bodies, and what did they do? They, create, they forced those bodies to bring harm to themselves. The maniac of Gadara. You have the, the boy whose dad came and he says he keeps throwing himself into the fires. So people, individuals who are influenced or are possessed, they, they, they are under their spell, their control, they're that powerful. So we have these even this, this instance in scripture where it talks about Michael and Satan arguing over the body of Moses. And Michael, the archangel, the most powerful of the angels following God, he was, I'm going to use the word intimidated, intimidated by Satan in the sense he did not rebuke him in his own name, but he had to do it in the name of the Lord. Why? Because Satan is really, really powerful. He's this type of an opponent that's facing you. We could talk about his organization, the principalities, the rulers. We can talk about their intelligence. We'll talk about that next week. Let's do this.
Let's see where we're at. All of us are in a battle with demonic forces. But the other thought, and this is the whole main thought out of just today getting started. You can only win if you rely upon Jesus Christ. You can only win this battle if you rely upon Jesus Christ. You cannot win this battle by yourself or with your spouse or with, okay, I'm going to rely upon the power of my church. We're not that powerful. You need Jesus Christ. The reason I say that is he says, in order that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil, in order that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to keep standing, the that's in each one of those phrases points to something before that. You need to do this so that you can stand. You need to do this so that you can withstand. What goes before that? Well, he's telling us we can defeat the enemy. We can withstand him. That's clear. But only if you do these two things. You be strong in the Lord, in his power. Get his assistance. And if you, secondly, take his armor. The whole armor of God. So you can withstand. So you can't do this in and of yourself. You need the Lord. And there's a reason why you need the Lord. It's not stated. It's assumed that you already know from the previous chapters. Because of who he is. Go through scriptures with me. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. That is the Antichrist and the demons. Why? Do anybody remember the rest of this verse? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Another passage. What shall we say then? If God before us, okay, who can be against us? It's, it's not us. It's God. It's Christ that is greater. Here he says in Matthew 28, Jesus says, All power is given unto the preachers. The men. The ladies. No. The teenagers. All power is given unto me, Jesus said. And then he ends up this entire passage of saying, hey, go out, share the word of God. And he ends up, and lo, I am with you always and everywhere. So the point is, the power that we need isn't in us. It resides in Jesus Christ. It is him. But not only of who he, well, we're still there. Let me finish this one out. Who he is, wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus. Do you notice it doesn't say Baptist? It doesn't say American? It doesn't have your name or my name. It's the name of Jesus, who is all-powerful. He is the one. So the point is, he's far greater than Satan. And not only because of who he is, but let's take this one, because of what he did. What he did. We read in scriptures, and we did this study a couple, two, three years ago when we did Colossians. Having spoiled or stripped off their power, having spoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them, triumphing over them. Plural, them. Those who were spiritually opposed to the believers. He goes on in Hebrews, says, He likewise took of the same body and flesh, this, in order that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil. The word destroy, 
that is translated in the King James, destroyed. The word is this, to render powerless. Not to, not to eliminate totally, not to annihilate totally, but to render powerless, to disarm, to make this roaring lion toothless. So Jesus says that this is what he's done, okay? And now let's look at what he does, what he does for us. We go and says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. He goes further, thanks be to God which always causes us to triumph in Christ. We read that he gives us the power or the ability in order to defeat the enemy. That is stated in this passage where he says in the text, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Can I point out a couple things? Be has the idea of become something you aren't, something that you are not right now. You need to become powerful in him. You're not. You're not. We may think we are. We're not. He says, be strengthened. Let somebody enable you. Let somebody strengthen you to assist you. You can't get this in and of yourselves. You don't have the power to defeat, is what he's saying. This power is not automatically yours at all times, at a whim. You've got to keep going to the Lord. The power comes when you let the Lord enable you or strengthen you. God is more than eager then to give you his power. He's talking to believers and he's saying to believers, you need to be strengthened time and time and time after time. You need the Lord to go back and assist you and to help you. And then he talks about how this idea, you need the Lord. Now, some of you are here this morning and the message is real simple. You need the Lord. You need the Lord. You need to be in the Lord. That means not on the outside looking in, but you need to come into faith in Jesus Christ. You need to be in the Lord and let the Lord be in you. You need to get born again. You need to have Christ become your Savior. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service this past week, when we did the funeral, we talked about heaven, and we talked about how an individual has to come to a point where they need to acknowledge that they are a sinner and they need a Savior and repent of that sin and ask Jesus to give them that gift of eternal life. And I said earlier that six people at least responded to that and even came up to the family, a couple of them, and said, we did that. You need to did that. Do that. You need to call upon Christ. Is there any time in your life where you say, I know at this time I called upon Jesus as my Savior? You're in a battle. Jesus is willing to help you, but the first step is make sure you're in the Lord and the Lord is in you. But we go a little bit further here where he says that not only will I give you the power, I'll give you the panoply. The panoply, the armor, that's the word panoplis is is the word that is translated armor. And so he talks about, we're going to talk about this armor that he gives us in the days ahead. But it reminds me of David. When David went out to battle, he couldn't take Saul's armor and fight in something that wasn't his. He had to fight in what he was equipped and how God gave armor or weaponry that he was used to, that he could use, that was, that was personalized for him. Some people will go out and fight in this spiritual battle in the armor of their church, 
in the armor of their denomination or of their, their family. That's not what you need. You need to have an individual relationship with Christ and let him design this armor that is specifically met, uh, met for you or fit for you. You need to be strong in the Lord. So what's it all mean to me? What's this all bring me back to? What do we do this week? Number one, we need to recognize we're fighting a spiritual battle. This battle is being waged, and if we could see in the spiritual realm right now, I would have no doubt that within this room we would see angels waging conflict as they try to influence or suggest his spirits throughout this room. We, would, we, we know that this spiritual battle is against not just us, but against our families, against churches. Is, is, are we living in a day where there's a lot of opposition to family? Are we living in a day where there's an awful lot of opposition to morality? Are we living in a day where there's opposition to godliness? There's a battle going on, friend. You're in it. You're engaged in it. Jesus is on one side, Satan is on the other side. And you have, uh, have seen already that Jesus has proven himself to be more powerful than the enemy. But in this conflict, you've got to determine which side you're on. You do nothing, that doesn't work. Okay, you need to decide which side you're on. You need to be with Christ. He that isn't with me is against me. Jesus has made it clear. What's, where is your allegiance? To whom are you giving your loyalty? Who are you following? Who is directing you? If you can't say it's Jesus and I'm dedicated and I'm following him, then by default, your influence is coming from the other direction. We as well comment and say this. If you're a Christian, you can experience victories and attacks, even against your family, your own spiritual walk, against our church, but you can't do it by battling on your own. I can't protect this church in and of myself. It won't work. I don't have the brains and I don't have the brawn in this spiritual battle. You and I need to rely upon the Lord to beat back the enemy whether it be our home or our church. And the formula that God has given is very simple. It starts with the idea of getting his assistance, being strong in the Lord, going to him and asking for strength, going to the Lord and saying, Lord, please, I need your help. The passage basically is starting and ending with prayer, having a relationship where you're running to the Lord time and time and time again. Are you doing it? Are you going to the Lord? Have you been to the Lord? Even this morning, this week, pleading and saying, God, I, I'm not, I, I need you. Lord, I need you. Man, I need you. Uh, I, I can't help but think that last night a commercial came on TV that reminded me of kind of what we're talking about. There is uh, Governor Huckabee is selling some, some type of supplement on TV now. And he talks about how when you reach a certain age, you find yourself waking up frequently at night. And then you can't quiet down anybody happening to you that you wake up at times and you can't go to sleep. But it works, you know, you can go back to sleep at church, okay? <laughs> or during the daytime, and he comments about how during the daytime you feel so listless. But he has found some type of uh, supplement that will help you go through the day. Well, Jesus Christ is that which we need. 
as a supplement in order to keep on doing what's right. We are beaten down by an enemy, but we're not defeated. If we're strong in the Lord, if we're strong and relying upon Him, we can have victories and keep following Him.